Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. And I am Nathan Sager. Today, we welcome New York Islanders legend and Hockey Hall of Fame inducted centerman Brian Trottier to discuss All Roads Home, a life on and off the ice, a Penguin Random House Canada release written with Stephen Brunt and forwarded by Jesse Thistle. It was released on October 25th. Our guest today, Brian Trottier, is a seven-time Stanley Cup winner. Six as a player, one as an assistant coach. He's an NHL 100 honoree, meaning in the centennial, centennial year of 2017, he was basically distinguished as one of the 100 best players of all time. He's a Hockey Hall of Fame member, a five-times winner of a major NHL award. He's never won the, he never won the same one twice. He was the Art Ross winner as regular season points leader in 1978-79 and won the Conn Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP the following year in 1980. Over his 18-season career, he recorded 524 goals and 901 assists in 1,279 games from 1975-76 to 1993-94. On the list of 25 players with the most cup wins ever, Trottier is the only one who never played for Edmonton, Montreal, or Toronto. He was a star center for the New York Islanders during their run of four Stanley Cups from 1980 to 83. No team has even won three in a row since. He was awarded the National Aboriginal Achievement Award in 1998, and all of that puts him on the short, short list, thank you for that, Nate, for the most decorated Indigenous sportsperson in the world. More on that in a moment. When it was announced Brian Trottier was releasing an autobiography, both of us thought he didn't, he didn't have, have one out already. already? <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a, it's a good question to ask him. I, I have a couple of, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I may have an idea as to why, but I'd like to hear from him. Um, his place in hockey, and especially Islanders history, was evident on Monday, October 24th, when he had a book signing at the Dakota Tavern. In a clever book launch... Trottier had a singing sign. Not sure how many of those I've been to for a pro athlete. As many know, he's an accomplished and informally taught musician who grew up playing hockey and playing in the family band, sometimes right after a hockey game, with his hair still wet, in Valmarie, Saskatchewan, and of course on the road. Now, Valmarie, his hometown, is where the Grasslands National Park Visitor Center is. It's right in the heart of the grasslands, and that's sacred land, as author and assistant professor Jesse Thistle eloquently writes in the foreword. Trottier's dad was Cree, Chippewa, and Métis. All are, of, are, all are Algonquin in culture, and his mother was Irish-Canadian. Now, Métis plus Irish, that equals good music. And as I walked down the stairs on the northeast corner of Dundas and Ossington in Toronto, down the steps of the Dakota Tavern, Trottier was in the closing two songs uh, and encore of his set with the Dave Bedini band. All one word. Assembled in the basement crowd were a good number of men, 
I'd say in their early to mid 50s. And when he closed, they patiently lined up to get their few minutes with number 19. Some had hockey cards, another had a jersey, and they all had the look like they were transported back in front of their CTR cathode ray, ray tube TV in their parents' home when they were teenagers and kids. And that was a time when they were idolizing the Trio Grande. That was the line of Clark Gillies, Trotchy at center, and Mike Bossy. They were the number one line on the number one team in the NHL. I too lined up just for a minute to thank him in advance for agreeing to do this podcast. Brian was joyful, humble, and engaging. And you can see why people like him. He makes a fantastic first impression, and it seems genuine. He'd already have tens of thousands of fans for what he's done on the ice. But he likely kept them while adding so many more by, what, by how he carries himself off the ice. That extends to how proudly he represents his Irish, but especially his Indigenous ancestry. And it, it, is, it is in that area particularly where the 66-year-old has been a champion off the ice for decades. What I think resonates with people is how he goes about representing and supporting First Nations. He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from talking about it. He's happy to. Nor does he outwardly seem want to want everyone to know what he's doing. He's just doing it. And in our current times, I believe there's a lot to be said for that approach. Hmm. So how that line that Brian Trache is the most decorated Indigenous athlete in the world got to us is illuminating. We were, of course, you know, you're reading up on what is out there before we talk to a guest and Trache related to in one article that someone came up and told him that when he was on an NHL alumni visit to St. Teresa Point First Nation. Now that is a fly-in community that you can only access by plane year-round or an ice road during the winter. Look at a map where the Manitoba-Ontario border makes that 30-degree jog towards Hudson Bay. It's a, or a little bit north of that, way up there. And he's, Brian Trotsky said that he and the late Dale Howard Chuck were at St. Teresa Point. And someone's like, do you realize this? And he's like, no, I didn't. I'm stealing <laughs> that line. Now, the point of that isn't to, you know, make it the jumping off point for another listicle because the world needs that, like it needs another social media platform. But him not having errors about that and just taking it in, you know, it meshes with the image of the, you know, the classic hockey heroes, proud of what he did, tough in the face of a tough job, but doesn't put himself above others. And the way he, you know, got those seven cup, cup rings, the roles he was in, it's kind of you know, fit, fits in with that too. With the Islanders, obviously, he was, you know, the number one center. One of the stars on the show on the first, you know, Stanley Cup dynasty that was truly built through the NHL draft. Uh, Nate, uh, didn't you say a few episodes that drafts are all immoral? They are, but, you know, let's just go Let's just go with it. And then people will probably come at me now, Ed's drafted Guy Lafleur. And it's like, yeah, they also had a lot of generational wealth by the time the draft came into place. The Islanders started out as an expansion team in 1972. But dynamite drop-in, Neil. Trotje took a lot of hacks and whacks with all those playoff runs back when the NHL was a lot rougher and tumbler. As did his buddy uh, Mike Bossy, the late yeah, Mike Bossy. who had to retire young because of back problems. Yeah, those Islanders played four rounds of playoffs, five seasons in a row, which no team had ever had to do before or has been able to do since, and it may never happen again. But so he probably had some tread on his tires by the time he was a 34-year-old and moved on to Pittsburgh in 1990 when, you know, everyone thought Mario Lemieux was a guy who couldn't get a team to the big time. But he sort of settled <laughs> in and became like sort of the, the veteran character actor alongside, you know, the, the top billing uh, stars, Mario Lemieux, Ron Francis, teenage Yarmer Yager. 
who was his roommate oh yeah he wasn't he was indeed their conversations about music must have been something because yager you know yager yager liked his uh you know his his uh heavy metal at like seven in the morning i think right when he was just getting in in those days if if what we're told is true we'll have to ask him yeah brian of course got a seventh ring as an assistant coach the guy who's you know the role where you're usually neither seen nor heard when colorado won in 2001 so he did all that for the you know the name on the front of the jersey but the numbers on the back are also important too Trottier told writes in the book that he wore number 10 as a boy and up through junior because that was the number of the 1960s toronto maple leafs captain george armstrong whom brian's dad buzz identified with as, as a leafs fan because armstrong wasn't was of indigenous descent and he you know paid that forward and went on to inspire many people in indigenous communities and up in the far north as well but it's a pro Trottier ended up wearing 19 and look at the captain tree of the other number 19s in, in hockey, you know, Steve Eiserman, Joe Sackick, Captain Sirius, Jonathan Taves. You could probably even toss in Steven Stamkos, who has the digits flipped around to number 91. Anyway, we are eager to talk to Brian Trottier. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. An associate who has once told a story with this juxtaposition. So in his journalism days, one time he interviewed someone from an obscure sport that has some of the same rudiments of hockey, but without all the gliding a few days later, guy sends a nice thank you note. Says, "Hey, you really capture sport, buddy. You know, I, and this guy's email signature is probably longer than some people's resumes. Like all <laughs> his awards, all his championships, halls of fame, certificates, and this, that, and the other. Right? All every accolade he'd ever ever had in his life. A couple years later, the same uh, associate crony, well wisha." is working for a Canadian hockey league team. And Brian Trottier comes to town for an appearance, you know, following Monday morning, email pops into the inbox, sender, Brian Trottier. And it's just, thank you for having me and making me feel welcome. Let me know if you need anything again. Cheers, Brian. Moral of the story, people who are important don't need to tell you who they are. They will show exactly. you they're important. Exactly. Also, other moral of the story, I like stories. And Brian and collaborator Stephen Brunt have some good ones here in All Roads Home, A Life on and Off the Ice. Thank you, Nate. And up next, Brian Trottier. And we are back with Brian Trottier. Nate, we've talked at length about Brian, so we'll just uh, get right into the questions. And the, the one thing we were both wondering is, what took you so long to write this book, considering your illustrious career and your outgoing personality? And what did it take? Uh, why did it take Waxy Gregoire to cajole you? Well, first off, Neil, Nate, it's a pleasure to be on the show, but um, I've been asked for years to uh, write a book and I just wasn't ready there. I didn't want to give away any secrets. I was in hockey and I might go back to hockey, I thought, and then uh, want to give away any strategies or let, you know, like let any secrets out. So uh, I'm at a time in my life where I'm totally unguarded and open book and I don't mind telling anybody what I'm thinking. And my stories I think are kind of fun and I do speaking engagements, get into communities and you know, everybody really enjoys the story. So we just kind of built an outline. And then when I talked to Stephen Brunt and he was fantastic. He kept jarring my memory and we reminisced a little bit. And uh, next, you know, we had a really kind of a, kind of a good manuscript. And Waxy Guar was, was fantastic. Like 
that was going back into like the mid 2000s when he talked to Waxy and you know we put together just a just a wonderful storyline and uh you know it was fantastic and I can't thank Waxy enough because he is a historian he loves this stuff and uh so I I really thank him for for kind of pushing me over the edge a little bit and you know finding finding somebody like uh you know Penguin Random House and uh you know a team uh Joe Lee and editor and just you know making me feel comfortable with the whole thing the whole idea because uh you know it's not easy to kind of get in someone and, and kind of like uh unveil yourself to a degree but at the same time you know let everybody know that you know you're human you're you know you're fine you you're proud of your roots where you come from and you know all the family stuff and the music and uh the hockey success is big deal but they were uh they're just a reflection of the guys i played with and you know my parents and you know all the coaches i had mentors and you know tiger williams i just i just love talking about it all indeed and you intuited a couple of my questions brian what does it mean to you when jesse thistle in the forward of the book says your career mirrors the epic land he grew up in and the storied people he came from well it was a fantastic forward by jesse he did a great job on it um but he's a writer. He, he he's almost poetic the way he's, he he wrote some of his some of his forward, and I, I I'm I'm forever grateful. I mean, he just like knocked it out of the park. Uh, he's a hockey fan, um, but he really did me justice. I can't thank him enough. Uh, you know, I felt very proud, and uh, I think he's he's proud of of his indigenous blood. So uh, to have him involved in the book was like a like a like an extra arrow in the quiver, so to speak you you could appreciate good art you you know you're you're a musician you you in the book you, you write about uh, being a creative writer and there's your daughter talks about your poetry on lunch bags <laughs> um uh i want to ask you when you read that about jesse because listen we our our podcast is focused on sports books so we read a ton of sports books and you could have had you know anyone from you know any one of your your Hall of Fame teammates, you know, Denny Potvin, whoever, Billy Smith, and so on, um, to Wayne Gretzky, uh, write the forward. So was it a, a publisher decision to get Jesse to do that, or or how did that come to be? Because you're right, it's really well written, and I have a follow to that. So please please go ahead and, and, and let me know how you found out Jesse was going to do this. Well, it was wonderful. Like, through, through discussion with the publisher and um, Stephen Brunt and family and teammates you know um there was, the list was long and it was it was a, a good list like you said um but we thought long and hard and we wanted this to be uh, a, a book of inclusion and we thought this was this is somebody who's uh you know just has a, a pride and uh, a skill that is uh second to none and uh, I was I was convinced that Jesse could do the job, and he blew it out of the ballpark. He 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 actually really did, and I I, I loved the part where he talks about the you know Valmarie, the Grasslands National uh, Visitors National Park Visitor Centers in Valmarie, and we all know you're from Valmarie. Anyone who knows you and knows hockey knows you're from Valmarie. You know you've represented it well, but to find out about the Trottier family being this you know. Uh, the legacy of the, the bison hunting uh, and, and skilled hunters. And did you know all of that before he wrote that? Or how did he, did he get that through you? How did, how did that come to be? Jesse, Jesse does his homework and I, I, I give him, I give him all the credit. Like 
How he found out all that, I have no clue. But it was wonderful because I knew a lot of this stuff, and had he asked me, I probably would have fed him half of it. But he found out more. Mm. So to his credit, I, I give I give Jesse all the all the all the marks, all the credit, you know, because he is uh, he he can he did his homework on this. And uh, no, my great grandfather was a was a was a buffalo hunter, and uh, you know from the Red River area. And I always say to myself. My grandfather loved hunting. My dad was a hunter, and they were good hunters, um, good good riflemen, like just mm. incredible. And I'd say to myself, you know, I wasn't much of a hunter. We always carried guns on the saddle, you know, mm-hmm. pick off a coyote or something and chase <laughs> something away. But uh, but dad and grandpa and the the wonderful history that my great grandfather Patrice had was was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Now, now, in, now, I should mention that uh, I think Jesse lives in Hamilton. I think uh, Stephen Brunt lives in Hamilton. So does Julie Veenster, the cover artist. Uh, so I think this our, our, might be our most Hamilton episode ever. Now, <laughs> now and I, I live there as well. Uh, now, in hockey, they talk about leading by example. What did you want to tell people about the examples that your mom and dad set for you growing up in Valmarie, in the, I guess in the 60s and on into the 70s? Yeah, I, I think it, it's a tribute to all of us who um, probably recognize our parents as our greatest role models and, you know, just the, uh, the work ethic and, uh, you know, how you treat people and, you know, what's expected of you. And, uh, you know, my parents were very much community-minded, very much family-minded. And, you know, it wasn't always what they said. They, they had some great lines, believe me. But, you know, I watched them and I studied them. And uh, so did my brothers and sisters. and you know we how we conducted ourselves is how my mom and dad conducted ourselves so we're just a reflection of our parents our grandparents our our heritage to a degree but i always say to myself you know like two better mentors i could never have had because they were you know they just they just took great pride in being you know good neighbors uh you know um, they always found the, the money for us to, to make sure we had hockey skates and sticks and anything we needed in school for our school activities and we didn't have any money but you know dad would sell a cow or you know break out somebody's horse or sell some hay or something and he was always bartering he was always horse trading and um you know i watched all that i watched it and then i'm saying to myself you know those skills you know the, the, the ability to raise five kids in the middle of nowhere you know make it all the way to new york one of them and you know all of us kids are just uh, so so proud of where we come from and uh, our parents and so it's a wonderful kind of a tribute to mom and dad, absolutely. And all of us, you know, I think we, we, we look at our parents and we certainly appreciate, uh, you know, everything they taught us and showed us and, and how they conducted themselves. So, man, uh, yeah, you know, mom and dad, Buzz and Mary, yeah, I love them. It, it really comes across, too, in the book. Sorry, go ahead, Nate. Yeah, and what I what I liked is the book could kind of go, it could be sentimental, but then you could sort of show, like, you know, sort of like something with a little that was kind of light and, and humorous. Obviously, you know, your dad, you know, ranching and, and playing music, he needed to be a very, uh, you know, a savvy negotiator. And you write about how he wanted you, he was like, don't take your first contract off right. from the Islanders. <laughs> but what sort of happened that, uh, you know, changed that, changed the course of that when you were, when you were signing with him as a teenager? Well, we, we, I trust my parents, you know, I trust my parents and, you know, that was, anything I, I that had anything to do with business or anything that had anything to do with the direction of my life I always ran it by mom and dad and I, I, I needed to I felt I felt like they they had my best interest at heart 
so when it came down to the contract, I mean, I when Dad said that on the plane, prior to him having like about eight little toddies <laughs> on the plane in first class, you know, I was like, well, right, we got a plan. This is great. But, you know, when free booze in first class and he had got lit up a little bit, I think, you know, when he heard the numbers that the Islands were throwing at me and it was just blue Cincinnati Stingers offer out of the water, it was, I, I said to myself, you know what, I think dad is right. I think this is more money that I think they're, they're crazy to be offering me this kind of money um, as a kind of an unknown kid from, from Saskatchewan who still had a little bit of growing to do. And I think they took a little bit of a risk and to, to some degree. But, uh, you know, I said I wasn't going to let him down. I had I had uh, Earl Ingerfield making sure I didn't let him down. And a mom and dad that was going to make sure I didn't let him down because, you know, it was uh, there was a little bit uh, there was a little bit at risk here. You know, the, the $250,000 signing bonus, a car of my choice. I mean, you know, there was guys playing in the NHL that were making $100,000. I was going to make $100,000 in my second or third year. So I was just uh, I, was, I was saying to myself, boy, don't take this for granted. And don't let anybody down and uh, I was uh, I was I was on I was on a, a path I was determined I was gonna I was on a mission basically to make sure that I was I was gonna live up to that contract and find a way to learn earn every dollar well you sure did and and yeah that, that was a great little story don't take the first offer done um, <laughs> and right off the bat they take it and 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 it worked out and 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 I also want to tell our listeners too uh, you mentioned the Cincinnati stingers uh, if you read the book you'll find out that there was an offer a WHA offer you came around at the right time when the WHA was was just starting and and so there was that offer there and you can find out about it find out about it in the book um, quickly uh, what is uh, cousin Larry gonna think of this book uh, you uh, paint uh, quite the picture of him cousin larry's my one of my favorite people in the whole wide world and i love him to death he knows that and uh <laughs> when i told him what i was going to write about you know he and i just laughed about it all over again because those are some of our favorite stories i've got a hundred stories like that about me and larry like the stuff we did in our, our little home and some of the, the craziness that you know we went and picked uh beer bottles one time and uh you know we j- we did it basically so we could go to the uh the calgary stampede and then all we did down there was just get have pictures taken we came home and our parents were like what did you how did you do and you know we're just kids and right. uh you know you, you say to yourself what what kids would be able to do that today i don't know but uh larry found a way and larry was my you know he's a couple like he's only like six months older than me and uh he is fearless and i love him and uh he's not afraid of anybody he's not afraid of anything and you need a guy like Larry in your life. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's my cousin and my blood makes it even more special. So on a more, on a more serious note, yeah, I, I enjoyed the pool hall store, the beer parlor story uh, with Larry. Um, <laughs> he starts Thanks. the fight and then he, then you fit, you kind of have the fight. And then your dad kind of says, you beat the crap out of the guy. And he said, you had enough. And your dad says, I had you say, yeah, find out well, what is my dad doing here? And Larry went out and got him while you were pummeling the guy he started the fight with. I um, know it's, it's a, it's a fun <laughs> story. It is really a fun story. I'm glad they, I'm glad we all kept that one in there. You're uh, <laughs> you, you see, there's a, there's another like a very poignant part, which leads to the title. And it's uh, you're thinking of quitting junior hockey uh, with swift current and then Tiger Williams drives through a snowstorm, or at least he ended up driving through a snowstorm. I don't know if there was one on the way in, but he's sitting at your parents' table, uh, kitchen table in junior. You're thinking of not going back after the Christmas break. And what did your dad say to you uh, that made you change your mind and, and lead you back to hockey? You know, those those two days were uh, 
were were stressful for me because I was I was at a point where I was wanted to leave hockey, junior hockey. I was going to go back and play hockey in my hometown or just go to school in town. And junior hockey wasn't fun. I was just a small playing against big guys and I was intimidated and I just didn't like it. I was only playing a few minutes a game and um, I was pretty much done playing junior hockey. Um, I figured I'd just go to college, maybe hopefully go to college and play some college hockey in Saskatoon or something, play for the Huskies. And I was just, uh, I was kind of doing it all in my own mind and I wasn't telling anybody. And I think dad sensed it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he just kept pushing and pushing. I just kept digging my heels in a little bit more humming and hawing. And, you know, mom didn't say a word, thank goodness. So she was just uh, mom always. And she's just like, uh, she probably sensed it as much as anybody, you know, that I was going through this this stressful time and when tiger showed up in the morning you know it just kind of kind of broke it all wide open uh, he knocked on the door mom said what do you want you want some breakfast yeah i'll have some eggs yeah some toast yeah and then they uh, i come to get you i'm like i'm not going back and that blew it wide open and uh, and uh, dad said i think you got to go back and then they had breakfast and nobody talked to me for like the next 40 minutes and i was <laughs> i was steaming I'm like, you know, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Oh, uh, oh we'll, we'll talk. Okay, pass, pass the sugar, Mary. I'll have another cup of coffee. And then finally about 8 o'clock, he said, let's get in the car. we got to get going. i got a hog I'll throw in that car. And I'm like, Tiger, I'm not going. I was mad as a hornet. Now I'm really, my diet, my my ire's at the top. And uh, Dad just uh, looked up. It's calm, cool, collected. He said, you know, you can always come home. And it just uh, it just softened me right up. I, 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 I don't know how I ended up back in that car, but... Sure enough, I'm in that car going back through that snowstorm with Tiger. And all he said to me in the car, he said, is, uh, I'm going to play left wing with you and no one's going to touch you. And uh, hockey was fun again. Like, and it, it was true. Anybody my size or smaller, I stick up for myself. Anybody bigger than me, Tiger beat the crap out of him. It was great. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, I have a big brother here. This is awesome. And, you know, he mauled me in practice. He kind of, like, taught me how to grapple. And. We worked on skills. One, you know, we work on passing plays, and you know, he 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 probably helped me as much as I helped him. But at least we had a kind of a one-two punch of practice, and he was on a mission like I was, just to get to the NHL. And uh, that strong desire and having like an older an older player took me under his wing, and you know, dragged me basically back into the game. Um, you know, I, I I have a lot to thank. Tag. I was still I was madder than a hornet at him for a while, but in looking back at it, you can, I can't thank him enough. And it, it, was it pretty soon thereafter? Was it a decision by by Stephen Brunt, or how did you know that would be the title? Because it, it tied right into the title of the book. Well, everything everything I did in life um, reflects on my little hometown and my parents, and hmm. all roads home kind of struck a chord with me when we were when we were looking at titles because you can always come home it seemed like a long title, mm-hmm. um, but all roads home. Everything I did, whether I was in New York or mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, and any success I had always was about my roots and in my home and uh, mom and dad. And mm. I couldn't wait to call home. I couldn't wait to go back home. I couldn't wait to call my buddies. I couldn't wait to get back into the community where I was just Brian. I wasn't Brian, this, you know, hockey player played in the NHL. I was just Brian, Buzz and Mary's boy. And, you know, I like that feeling of being home and we all do. And, uh, you know, it talks about homesickness. It talks right. about being shy. It talks about overcoming a lot of these stuff and getting to where you can follow your dreams and they, they always take you home. All everything, all all roads lead home. So, it really kind of, kind of resonated in my mind. I really like the title, and so there it is. Right. And and one one teammate, of course, you felt right, right at home with was uh, Mike Bossy, your right wing. 
looking back on the early days when you were both with the Islanders, why why do you think the two of you hit it off so well? That is a great question, and and Mike and I have talked about it ourselves. We're not sure. He's from a different part of the country. He's from Montreal. I'm from the plains of Saskatchewan. He's a city kid. I'm a I'm a I'm a a rancher's kid, and uh, you know he's of uh, Ukrainian descent. I'm I'm Cree, Métis, Chippewa, Irish, and and uh, we looked at each other. I I you know here the quick story. I felt sore. I felt he got a stick in the mouth. And he looked pathetic. Like that was the only word that came to mind. Here's our first rounder sitting on the the trainer's table, and he's scrawny kid. You know, his hair's all wet. And I, I said, "Hey, do you want to come over for supper?" And I, as soon as I said, he goes, "Yes." And uh, we talked all the way to my house. And you know, I would say, "Want to stay over?" And you know, "Want to stay here through training camp?" And well, want to bring your wife down? I don't know if you made the team. I said, "Oh, you made the team. Believe me, you made the team." <laughs> And we didn't play. We didn't play together till the final game of the exhibition in New Haven, and uh, Clark was on my left side. Uh, Billy Harris was on the right, and they threw Mike out there uh, for one of one of those shifts, and we scored, and we all ended up with like four points each that night. Uh, Mike Clark and I, and then we played that whole season for like ten years. We played together, and it was just kind of like chemistry that kind of clicked. Um, and uh you know we were roommates for 10 years uh you know till he till he couldn't play anymore and we trusted each other it was great chemistry a bond developed a friendship and and that i think that had a lot to do with it i think we you know we just uh we loved that each other wanted to excel we loved the fact that both of us wanted to win a stanley cup that was our mission every year wasn't he talked about scoring 50 and 50 i said ah, so absolutely mike but we're going to win the stanley cup that was our mission every year we we fell short. He didn't fall short of 50, but we fell short of our Stanley Cup. It was not a good season. So we right. pushed and pulled each other, and it was great. You know, I kind of learned how to score goals from him, and he's underrated when it comes to stick handling playmaking. So we had a blast out there. And If somebody thought, okay, he, he, I like scoring goals as much as Mike, but he just was a much better goal scorer than me. And, uh, you know, he just found holes for us, and we just kind of put it on a stick, and he, he finished it off. So it was just a wonderful friendship. I miss him every day, but... You know, I talk to his family a lot, and we, we we're gonna we're gonna honor him by by celebrating his life, and I think that's what we do when 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 people move on, and uh, you know, Mike is missed, and uh, but just an incredible, incredible goal scorer. You know, you 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 write in the book about how you guys are on the road, and you would you would kind of give cliches to the press, but then you would kind of actually tell each other the secrets to your game, and so he'd tell you maybe a little bit about his shot. And did you kind of tell him about stick handling? Like, what, what were those intricacies you were telling your, each other that you weren't telling the press? Well, we had we 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 had a few set plays. So if we had, I was in a certain area, I'd, I'd say, Mike, if I'm over here, can you just kind of find a little hole right about here, and I'll just lay it out there. And we didn't want the opposition to know that. And the same if if he had the puck. And sometimes you, you, people would say, oh, you must have eyes in the back of your head. Well, we talked about those plays. We talked about those situations. And we talked about defensemen that we, we, we would attack. We talked about players that were checking us, you know, the, the Don Luce line or the Jarvis line in Montreal. We we talked about that. Who was, who was checking him that night and how we're going to overcome it. And we don't, we just wouldn't tell some of the secrets. And you know, right. we had pick plays. We had a lot of pick plays where, you know, we crisscross with Clark and we'd we'd we'd, uh, we'd stack ourselves and and those were set plays. But you know, sometimes they worked. A lot of times they did, and uh, we just would we'd change them up a little bit so we wouldn't become, you know, uh, too predictable. And 
and we'd giggle about it afterwards. Okay, here's what we're gonna do next game, and okay, here's what we're gonna try next game, or here's what we're gonna, you know, we were playing these guys, we're gonna do this, and 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 darn if some of it didn't work. And we're just a couple of kids trying things and and coming up with these little creative things and uh, giggling about it afterwards. And people say, well, how'd you do that? Well, we don't know. We just kind of like, <laughs> uh, read off each other. You know, like you don't want to give any secrets away. Well, you know, in just moving on to the next question, I will say first of all, thank you for for sharing those some of those secrets. And 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 even though we are members of the press, I also want to say that um, you know we we can't mention Mike Bossy without mentioning Clark Gillies too. And it's obviously very sad that they both moved on in the uh, in the same year, 2022, earlier this year. So shout out to both of those guys. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. The big log, I, I miss him every day. He was my singer, but I knew Clarky when I was um, 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I met him I met him when I was 15, if you can believe it, playing baseball. And so I've mm-hmm. known Clarky a long time. Uh, we're both Saskatchewan kids. He's Moose Jaw. I'm a little town of Balmory, but, you know, we spoke the same language. He loved all the same things. He loved everything I loved, you know, country music. He liked westerns he was uh he was a western canadian boy and uh he's my marble man basically he was john <laughs> wayne on the ice and he was invincible massive human being with a massive heart and um you know he had another big brother i had tiger williams and junior i had clark gillies in the nhl as far as like big brothers and you know he uh he kind of looked out for us he had a big man presence on the ice and everywhere he walked but um just the the kindest most gentlest human being until you made him mad uh-oh and he looked at you through his eyebrows. You're in trouble. I was always glad when he didn't look at me went through his eyebrows anymore. But um, I love the man. He's going to be missed too. His family. We love. We love him. And again, um, you know, painful to say goodbye. Um, tragic and in, in some senses too young. And uh, but he is. Uh, he's going to be remembered for a long time in my heart. And and in and through in other people's hearts through this book as well because you talk greatly about both of them and and Thank I want to yes and I, I want to ask you about the word great because you've touched greatness all throughout your career um, and we talked at the beginning before you came on about all the different things you've done cups Hall of Fame awards scoring titles Conn Smythe so the word great. You know, me and Nate as journalists know this. We use it sometimes. It gets thrown around very casually sometimes in sports and in life. So given what you have done, how do you define it and see it when it comes to sport? When you're watching TV and they're talking about great or you read it in the paper and they're talking about great, how do you see it? Because you probably see it and define it differently than us. Uh, Maybe, but I I don't think so. I think most of us, um, we look at great as, 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 you know, the – my 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 terminate a great like the the very best the very best of the best and that was at my Jean Bellabo and Gordy Howe and Stan Makita era and then I you know along comes Gilbert Perot Bobby Orr and how they played at such a speed and you know I wanted to I wanted to be high skilled I wanted to be a leader I wanted to be confident I wanted to be one of those guys that uh, just was what uh, it was was kind of looked at and said you know what there's a there's a little leader there's a there's a kid who who excels and wants to win and wants to achieve and finds ways to achieve and and is creative and uh, you know never gives up and those were those were were my ideals of what Gordy Howe and Jean Bellabo Stan Makita were and I I wanted to be one of those guys and uh, I was had no dynamic in my game I wasn't end end you know I didn't carry the puck end end go through defensemen like like some of those greats did I I was just kind of a give and go guy you know like go to the net look for a rebound and you know, try to throw the puck to the right guy and let, let them do their magic. And 
but it was really kind of a, a neat deceptive kind of a game and uh, uh, for that I think we, we, we our team was rewarded you know I was I was kind of a little bit of a, um, a locomotive I guess to a degree I like to bump people at the same time I like to back check I like to do a lot of different things take face offs and I kind of had a what I'll call a round a well-rounded game <laughs> and mm. uh, that kind of praise really motivated me you know when my coach was 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 saying oh this kid's a good all-around player and you know those kinds of things you you feel appreciated and uh, my teammates you know I had their respect because no one outworked worked me and I, I wanted to make sure I was the hardest worker in practice and games and you know I think those kinds of things are are, are what I think you know the Jean Bellevaux and the very best of the best represented and uh, I tried to achieve that I don't know if I did but you know through I think uh, a few Stanley Cups and that kind of stuff I I got almost got there to a degree but you know, not to their not to their uh, degree at all but cuz I still think those guys are way 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 above me but I wanted to I wanted to try to achieve and I wanted to make sure my dad and mom were proud and you know when you know they say oh that like no one out your, your your kid today and I was like oh my god dad you tell me that on the phone I'm like thanks dad <laughs> and uh you know, mom would say, well, you were the most unselfish player on the ice. You moved that puck so well. Or, Thanks, mom. Like those <laughs> were those were praises from my mom and dad. And I love that. You know, uh, right. I sang a song one time. It's in the book with with uh, Michael Burgess, who's like right. one of Canada's <laughs> most right. famous singers. And I did a duet with him on the ice and brought tears to my mom's eye. I talked to her afterwards. How was it, mom? She goes, that was beautiful and michael burgess is not a bad singer too like i <laughs> no. like i was out singing michael burgess that, that's my mom and uh i think that's all of our moms like that's just the way our moms see us and i just i i, I want to make sure that they were proud because I, I i was proud i was a, a proud player that wanted to wanted to win stanley cups win hockey games and make my team successful and make my line mates and they want and, and that's what the kind of team we had in new york like al arbor was like that he had a had a group of guys that kind of formed a bond. We all want to win together for each other. Well, you know, uh, you, I think what you what you basically summed up there is is really, I mean, the the ultimate question is the you know greatness can be individual, and you talk about Tom Brady in the book, and it can be a team. And I think what's unique about you, and I think when we read a book and dissect it, I guess in this case, I think it's the combination. It's a unique combination for yourself of individual greatness and team greatness that just is it's its own entity. So that's probably what I would say makes you unique, you unique, especially in the game of hockey. Nate, go ahead. Yeah. Brian, I wonder what are moving ahead. What are the lesser, the lessons about how it works when a group has multiple leaders with the way it was with those early nineties penguins teams you were on, because you're there with this, you know, the, all the postseason experience, but you know, there's Mario Lemieux and it's Ron Francis. And then the second year, Scotty Bowman sort of kept, you know, Badger Bob Johnson in everyone's heart. Well, it's a wonderful dynamic. And the only way I can explain it, I think guys is, is, um, you know, the, the, uh, everybody has a leader in them, everybody. And, uh, that locker room is a, is a special place. And obviously you have a captain, you know, New York had Dennis and Mario in Pittsburgh and you have your general manager, you have your coach. I call them the commanders. Obviously they're, you know, they're leading the charge up there. They're, they're making, they're making the deals and they're, you know, they kind of have control of, of that sort of thing, but uh, your ice time and structure and that kind of stuff, the culture of your team basically. 
but that locker room is is full of leaders and our new york team had lots of leaders like clark gillies bobby nystrom i can go down the butch goring everybody provided leadership and uh, john tonelli and you you that locker room we make everybody feel like they're appreciated and they have worth and value and uh Nobody, nobody is not a leader in that locker room. Even the the fourth liners have leadership roles, and they got to they got to they got to bring them every game. And in Pittsburgh was no different. Like we had young leaders, we had we had veteran leaders, we had uh, you know obviously the Mario Lemieux and the Kevin Stevens and the Yarmer Yagers, and those guys are leaders. And we all lead by example, work ethic. Uh, somebody blocks a shot, everybody taps them on the shin pads and. That's what leaders do. Everybody encourages each other, and um, it's wonderful. Goaltenders are leaders. You know, they, they make a big save. They're, hey, thanks for blocking that shot. Thanks for backchecking. You know, that that appreciation factor is, a, is leadership. And, you know, you inspire people by doing something great, but you also inspire people by, by encouragement. And, uh, you know, you bring out the leader in all of us. And I think, you know, I tell that to little kids, you know, there's a leader in all of us. So, you know, you, you, you don't have to be the best player on the team. But you want to be the best teammate, and that's a leader. You know, when you're the best teammate, and you're you're providing, you know, uh, you know, you just smart talk on the bench, and you know, like, uh, hey guys, that was good, that was a great shift. Hey, da, 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 da. that is leadership. And you know, the, the coach is back there. You know, he's patting guys on the back. Hey, good shift, good shift. Uh, you know, you, you, it, it it provides some sort of motivation, and uh, I think it's wonderful. So I, I I was lucky. I played on two great teams with a lot of leaders. Uh, yeah, there can only be one captain, maybe one assistant captain, maybe two. Everybody in my heart has has a leadership role, and uh, everybody has a has a leader within them. Now, I don't know how long long you had this arrangement, but at first with the Penguins, and you're a 15 year veteran at this point, you were rooming with an 18 year old Yarmer Yager. Yeah. So how did that work out? Like, who who decided what music would be playing in the room? <laughs> Well, he controlled the TV. He was MTV all the time. That's where he learned all his English. He would just use phrases from from MTV, and the the reporters would ask him a question, and uh, like, uh, "How do you like Pittsburgh armor?" And he'd go, "I like cherry pie." You know, maybe the Motley <laughs> Crew or something. Or and, <laughs> and I used to chuckle. I'm like, "Oh my God!" He just said a phrase, and they'd be writing it down, shaking their heads, and but he called me Big Brian. I don't know why he called me Big Brian because I was older than him, maybe, and. The name stuck. Uh, I had a Brian Jr. maybe, and he just called me Big Brian. Uh, but he was just a wonderful kid, with, and he followed me around like a puppy dog, much like I followed Tiger Williams. Um, you know, I was kind of like his uh, his interpreter a little bit, and I would help him order breakfast. And so I was a little bit of a maybe a father figure for him, but I loved the kid. He was uh, he was a student of the game. He's a quick learner. He he watched everything. He watched me, and always asked me good questions and. Um, he always wanted a Trans Am. This is a wonderful, funny story, but I don't think it's in the book. And uh, he wanted a Trans Am so bad, and he couldn't afford the insurance. So finally, the team covered the insurance for him. He was getting his Trans Am. He was driving around a little Hugo for like a couple weeks until the Trans Am <laughs> came in. And finally, one day, he's behind the wheel, this big black Trans Am with the Eagle on the front, and he's showing it to me, leather seats, the stereo, and everything. I said, now he's got the biggest smile. And if you know Yarmer, and you mm. can remember his smile with his big hair, and I mean, he's 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 the happiest kid going and two or three days later he's back in that little hugo he looked like lurch in that big sardine can and <laughs> and uh i said yarmer what happened to the the uh the trans am he goes oh big brian 
I hit deer. Deer is dead. Car is dead. Everything is dead. I said, how fast were you going? You need to put slow down. He goes, oh, I could not see speedometer. I don't know how fast I was going. So, but he's just a wonderful kid with a big heart. And, you know, he was, he was just enjoying a little bit of American culture, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, no, I love the kid. It was, uh, it was a special time to be his roommate and his teammate, obviously. I got to play a lot of hockey with him. He, he played right wing with me for a, a lot of the Stanley Cup times. And, um, but he is a, a special kid with high, high skill. And, you know, he, he, wa- he loved Mario. He wanted to be a great player like Mario, and I think he, he managed that. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, and, Nate, were you going to say something? And, yeah. and after reading about you describing when you, the, the Penguins' second Stanley Cup, they had the celebration at the baseball stadium, and you went into that slide on the tarp. But what I've noticed is, like, you did it while Scotty Bowman was at the microphone. Did, did he have anything to say about that afterward? Not afterwards. The place was going crazy. There was a little bit of a rain delay going on, and they were trying to hold off, but Scotty jumped on the microphone anyway. And I was oblivious at this point. I was just having my own little fun out there. And, you know, it's spontaneous. It's one of those uh, spur-of-the-moment things that happen. I just saw that, ah, there's rain delay, and I was waiting for my buddies to come down. They they left me they left me bone dry down there by myself. And I looked back, and I said, okay, you guys want to come down here? I have my own little party. But... Us, but we were supposed to pass it back and forth and kind of get the crowd going a little a little bit. And I did that little infamous slide on, on the tarp, and it's part of the folklore of all three rivers now. And I, I bump into folks in Pittsburgh. They go, we remember that slide. I said, well, I tell you, it took me two to get a slide. The first one, I didn't go very far, but I made sure that Stanley Cup came out pristine. I didn't want to drop the cup or dent it up or anything, but it was a, it was a fun little moment. Brian, uh, we uh, we have. Uh, I know you're tight on time. You've been doing interviews all day. Um, we have uh, a few more questions, um, if you don't mind sticking with us. Um, yeah. And uh, but the one I've been really wanting to ask—it's been on my mind for a long time. Um, it more, it's a more serious question before we get into the uh, the more uh, lighter stuff as as we round things out. Is you know you write in the book about the Kansas City Scouts logo in your first. Um, in your first hockey game, and you write about it with fondness. You said, you know, quote, the proud native on the back of the horse. And I wanted to know, um, there's a lot of talk um, about the Blackhawks logo. I've talked to Ted Nolan. He said he loves it. Um, I want to know, you've, you know, I know you cannot speak for the entire spectrum of First Nations people. I know Ted Nolan can't speak for the entire spectrum, but what is, you're, you're, you go to different communities around you know, up to the Arctic Circle, all around Canada. What is the prevailing consensus and feeling? Because it seems to me that we need some clarity on this because it seems there are people that do like it and there's some that say there's something wrong with it. So what do you think for the Blackhawks logo? A Blackhawks logo is one of my favorite logos ever um, right. in sport. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's one of those things I think that uh, anybody who recognizes uh a brand i think uh it is uh it's a strong strong logo and i think it represents the blackhawks proudly mm-hmm. i think uh you know i don't think it's uh it's taken in, in in the wrong sense at all um i can't speak for all everybody i don't know right. what the, the 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 wild consensus is it seems like the loudest gets noticed mm-hmm. um in everything you know like if someone has the loudest voice in a the room they get heard and uh, sometimes I don't know if they did the right kind of census or whether mm-hmm. they just want to appease some of the some of the loudest voices. I'm not sure. Right. But uh, I know this. I have First Nations blood, and uh, I thought the uh, the uh, 
the University of North Dakota, the Fighting Sioux was an awesome logo. Mm. And, uh, you know, and it's not here anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's some other logos that kind of fell to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it's offending to, the, to that nation, I understand it. Absolutely. Right. Um, but if it's not offending every, every person in, in, in the world, you right. know, I, I, I don't understand that. But I always say to myself, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things that gets, uh, becomes like a, a little bit of a uh, political Yes, uh, political football. Ping pong ball. Yeah. Get punched around a little bit, and I think it confuses a lot of people. But uh, I think if you ask, I, I think a lot of guys, um, the Chicago logo, I think it's a, it's a very, very, very wonderful logo. Thank you for, for giving us your opinion on that. Yep, no problem. And Brian, I wanted to ask, too, uh, a story about uh, your, your daughter, Lindsay, writes in the book about how you learned calculus with some tutoring from Arthur Zerbe. Yes. <laughs> To help your son, what would you hope people take from that about the, you know, I guess the value of lifelong learning? Well, I, you know, I, I think all of us as parents, you know, we, we, we want our, our kids to excel. We want them to achieve. And, you know, when they ask me to do homework, I love it. I'm like, I'm in. Like, it didn't matter if it was writing or reading or arithmetic. I was, I was in it, you know, up to my eyeballs. And, um, it didn't. Christian's my youngest, and he, you know he was having a little trouble with calculus. I was coaching in Buffalo, and uh, he called me up. He goes, "Dad, I, I I can't get this calculus." I said, "Hold on one second. I said, "Arthur's, what do you know about calculus?" He goes, "I love calculus." I said, "Come on over here. We're going to do some calculus." My son, Arthur's, jumped right in, and that's <laughs> that is such hockey to me. That's like, okay, this is this is my bud. We're gonna we're gonna do some calculus now. And so me and Arthur were helping with his calculus homework, and it, it's one of those things where I just put my arm around. And Arthur and I became wonderful pals through that year, and uh, he is a, just a fantastic human being. And uh, you know, we got to know each other really well, and our families really well. And it was just a a marvel when you know you can rely on your hockey buds to help you out in those situations of parenting as much as they can help you on the ice. And it just reflects on 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 my hockey guys so well, and. But I think all of us as parents, I think we we, we, we dive in when our when our kids want to want want a little help with homework, and we'll do whatever we can to help them. You know, and in my limited, uh, I said it really helped me to go through this calculus program with Arthur and my son because I learned a little a little calculus through the whole thing. So, yeah. yeah, lifelong learning, Brian. That, that, <laughs> that's what I learned. <laughs> yeah, and one, speaking of education, you mentioned it, like I think in high school, Lorna Crozier was famous Canadian poet was one of your high school teachers and what stayed with you from your days when she was uh, teaching you uh, I guess comprehensive writing when you were about 16 years old I know I had I had Lorna as my high school comp teacher for two years and uh, she was uh, she's my writing teacher my writing coach basically my mentor and I loved writing anyway so she gave me all this wonderful encouragement and she was my guidance counselor as well so she would have my homework ready for road trips and she was on a mission to get me through high school and hockey and, and, and school just didn't jive in the seventies at all. The early seventies, it was not, you want to be a hockey player. You want to go to school. That was basically what we were told, but I tried to get a couple, couple subjects in uh, per semester and she helped me. She kept, we we're going to make this happen. And I was, my head was probably shaking up and down, but inside my brain was going, I'm not sure this is going to work, but uh, no, she was fantastic. I remember as Mrs. Ewer. That was her name in high school. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she went back to her maiden name when she and we had a wonderful conversation. We reconnected, and uh, it's just been uh, just been wonderful to to have that reconnection and uh, to understand and to read some of her books and some of her writings and her creativity and uh, to to know that she went on to have this wonderful writing career as well. She wasn't just a guidance teacher and a comp teacher and in Swift Current Saskatchewan, she was uh, this wonderful, marvelous uh, writer and poet in, in, in Canada's world. And I, I, I marvel at that. At the same time, I'm so proud that I had her for a couple of years in high school. Hey, Brian, you're, you're just quickly, your family's uh, very gifted. So it doesn't, at the end of the book, when we find out what all your kids did, it doesn't surprise me that you could learn calculus on your own. I mean, your son's a, an oncologist, your daughter's a journalist married to a Navy SEAL, and your other daughter's a marketing, um, uh, works in marketing in Australia. So pretty impressive, especially for with their dad on the road doing homework over the phone. Um, I, I'm going to make this quick for uh, a lightning round. Um, so you yes. can feel... I love uh, lightning rounds. Okay, so just... Uh, answer this uh you can just say as quickly as you want or whatever but okay in today's day and age how long would they have reviewed bob nystrom's ot goal in 1980 it was onside probably uh they probably passed they would probably do onside the the goal that was offside was was uh, Dwayne sutter's goal in the second period um right. so that was the offside goal but a lot of was said about but, but bobby nystrom's goal in overtime they wouldn't give it a second look <laughs> okay Country music mashup. Uh, okay, I'm gonna throw two two sets of artists out there. You pick the one you'd you'd put put your, p- put their record on first. Okay, Merle Haggard or Johnny Cash. Merle Haggard. Stompin' Tom or Tommy Hunter. Ooh, that's a tough one. Tommy Hunter. Hank Williams or Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Okay, Ooh. if you're closing your eyes and you're back in Val Marie and you're you're just imagining the radio station being turned on what song do you hear back uh, when you're you know a young kid listening to country music with your parents uh probably blue eyes crying in the rain, rain by <laughs> Willie Nelson nice okay so you don't have to answer the next one quick it's just a, a little bit of fun before we close out I just want to know have you and Brian Bellows talked since the infamous video <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> do you guys, what do you guys say when you when you talk about that, because it's obviously viral and hilarious. We walked into uh, the new XL Center in Minnesota. We were doing an NHL um, event, and we walked in together with Willie Platt. And mm-hmm. I looked at Brian, and I kind of shrugged my shoulders. He looked at me, and I said, "Heat of the battle, Brian." He goes, "Heat of the battle. That was awesome." He said, "My buddies are so envious." I'm like, "Okay, we're good. We're buds. All right." So yeah, we had a good chuckle about it. Those in the know know what we're talking about. So uh, as we close out, I just wanted to know, you're obviously you're doing crazy press here. You've been busy all week. Scott Sellers is probably right behind you now going, oh, my goodness, how long is this going to last? I'm sure you got stuff going on tomorrow. But when are you going to the U.S., to Long Island and Pittsburgh? Is that going to happen as part of this? Oh, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, New York New York wants to do something really bad, the Islanders. And Pittsburgh Penguins want to want to support and do something. So, yeah, no, definitely going to happen. We're going to try to try to get back to Saskatoon and and we're going to get back to uh, you know little areas in Saskatchewan and really promote and uh, that area of the world Grasslands National Park it, it, it's wonderful the reaction uh, this was fun guys thank you so much I've had I've had a lot of fun we talked about a lot of stuff I really liked the lightning round that was a lot of fun <laughs> well can I ask you one last thing yep your dad said um, when you're nine when you stop wanting you die. So you for die. for you right now, you've got you have had everything. What do you want next? That's a great question. You know, 
I just want I want happiness. I want ha- I want health for my family, friends, and and uh, you know I I really like calm. I like serenity. Uh, but it seems like when the phone rings, it's always something fun with the NHL or my 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 hockey people, and there's always something fun going on. So when friends call and the kids call, it's always something fun, and I'm so happy about that because you know I don't want any despair. I don't want any right. any unhappiness and some pain or anything like that so i, I look for that and uh that's really kind of kind of kind of more than anything else and uh so what's next i don't know just uh you, there's always something around the corner that's grabbing my attention but uh i'm at a wonderful stage in my life i'm having a blast there's lots of positivity um the islanders are celebrating their 50th anniversary um you know yeah we've lost some some buds and you know some 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 legends in the game of hockey but we keep moving forward and we, we honor them by, by living life to the fullest. And if it was the opposite way, I'd be saying the same thing to them. So, uh, you know, my parents taught me that a long time ago. And, you know, when, when we buried their parents and uh, I just say to myself, you know, it's uh, some of this is tragic, happens way too young, but uh, we're going to keep moving on. And we're going to, we're going to really enjoy this crazy hockey world that we're in and more hockey and um, the wonderful, uh, the life around it because everything i have is due to hockey and yeah thank you for mentioning thank my you. children they're they're wonderful kids and i'm really proud of them and their achievements and i got one more he's in college and he'll be off the payroll <laughs> <laughs> well you know what thank you brian so much for giving us this much time at the end of your day and good luck with the book thank you very much for joining us today gentlemen i'd give you this time much time if it was the first time of the day i love i love that i really enjoyed it thank you thank you sir you're welcome thanks so much brian